Hello, my name is Ray Montgomery. I'd like to welcome you to the Navigating Blindness podcast. And on today's show, I have Mr. Don Kors and Mr. James Michaels on the show. And today we're going to be talking about the Americans with Disabilities Act and how this groundbreaking legislation has impacted and enhanced the lives of those living with a disability. So, um, Don and James, I want to thank you guys for coming on today. How you guys are doing? Great. Thank you. I'm for fine. All right. All right. Well, as you know, as you guys know, we're coming up to the 31st anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act. And I just wanted to bring you guys on the podcast today to really get your point of view of how this legislation has really impacted the lives of individuals who are blind or visually impaired and just individuals living with various forms of disability. So I'm going to uh, start with you, Don. Don, Don you are um, a board member here at Bosman Enterprises, correct? Yes, I am a board member at Bosma. All right. And you are definitely a longtime advocate and a champion of uh, people who are blind or visually impaired. Don, how long have you been uh, associated with uh, Bosma Enterprises? Well, I've been on the board since 2003. Mm-hmm. But prior to that time, when I was working for the state of Indiana, I served as a consultant to the Bosma uh, board. Uh, okay from its early beginning. Yeah, yeah you, you've seen a lot of changes within the organization since you've been around, so definitely appreciate your leadership. And James, you are the VP of Programs at our Center for Visionary Solutions. Um, how are you going over there in our center today, James? Oh, everything's going well. Yeah, we're starting to get more clients in, uh, with you know, the vaccinations increasing and um, some of the restrictions being lifted, so things are going great. Thank you for asking. All right. Uh, Don, I want to start off with you, Don. Why is the Americans with Disabilities Act is such a groundbreaking, such an important piece of legislation? Well, I believe, you know, with the passage of ADA, it probably brought attention to the fact that many programs and or facilities really weren't accessible to people with disabilities. And I think it brought attention to more people uh, at various levels, both individually and from an organizational standpoint and from a government standpoint that, you know, they were excluded from many things because of lack of access. Definitely, definitely. And James, what what are your uh, thoughts on the ADA and uh, this groundbreaking legislation? Yeah, you know, I, I feel like it's it's very similar to the mission at Bosma Enterprises, creating opportunities for people who are blind or visually impaired. Mm-hmm. Well, the ADA has really helped to create opportunities for people with disabilities, all disabilities. And what I mean by that is when you think about um, those of us, uh, you know, with disabilities, we, we have some certain needs for access and equal access and the ADA has really helped to bring that to the forefront of people's minds. And, you know, maybe that would be something from when you're creating a building, ensuring that there are, are access ramps for people who use a wheelchair or for those of us who are uh, visually impaired, you know, it's ensuring that there, there's Braille on elevators, uh, Braille on rooms, signage. Um, I was just uh, in Cancun with my family last week. And there was no Braille signage on the hotel doors. 
or by the doors. And that's something that you rarely see in, in America yeah. is there, there is Braille signage. So legislation like this can really help create an accessible environment. I'm glad you kind of touched on that as well, because you talk about the ramps and you talk about the elevators. Um, the ADA does not just help people who are blind or people with various disabilities, because when you talk about those ramps, you talk about strollers, they can go up those sidewalks now. You talk about the beeping noise on the elevator now that gives you the indication, um, you know, with what floor you're on. But I, I prefer numbers, to be honest with you. The beeping, I can't keep up with. <laughs> but those type of things right there are really inclusive, you know, to a lot of people, not just those with uh, some form of disability. So those are great things right there. So how did the ADA really change lives for us, you know, living with the form of disability? How did it enhance you know, our opportunities, um, James, Don. Yeah, I, I, I'll start if that's okay, Don. Um, Go ahead. Really, I, I think it just helped people to think about it. And for businesses, you know, businesses, sometimes, you know, there are a lot of, I think there's more of a social consciousness than there was 31 years ago when the ADA was enacted. Um, people thinking about, you know, how can we make things accessible and what can we do to help individuals with disabilities to be as active as possible, not only in the work life. A lot of times people think the ADA is just about, you know, access to equal employment. It's really more than that. It's also access to the community and helping people to be able to participate in activities in the community. For me as a person who's blind, Ray, I don't want my neighbors to think of me as they see me walking around there, they think, oh, there's that blind guy, James. I want them to think about hey, there's James. He's Jesse's dad. He's, uh, you know, he helps out at the community center. He's a, a he works at Bosma. He's a good employee. Um, you know, he's Connie's uh, husband. And also he's a person who's visually impaired. That's, that's fine as well. But I, you know, having access to be able to participate in those things in the community, that just helps bring us all together. And, um, you know, for those of us being together and, and being a part of the community, you know, it helps us to live the American dream. You know, people who are blind work, people with disabilities work, and having access to those kinds of things also helps us to have access to our community, buying houses and, and just being a, a, a participant in all types of activities. Well, you know, when I think about it uh, over the years, uh, I think the possibility of employment has been an issue and it has helped some in opening up doors. But I, I think the thing that probably has made the most impact is physical access to services. Um, one of the things that is still challenging is uh, that we have to be able to educate the public about the capabilities of all individuals with impairments, and that includes blind people. But the other thing that we have to continue to educate people about, and I think the, the act does that, but people with impairments have to be in the forefront and uh, change attitudes of people with uh, about people with impairments. 
so that they are people just like they are and that they have great capabilities and, and can be as productive and positive in society. And I think that the act does allow that to happen. But I think we need to continue to educate the public about the capabilities of, of individuals with impairments. I'm glad you said that. How do we educate them? How do we inform them on the capabilities? How do we uh, dismiss the myths and the, the stereotypes that come along with, you know, you know, blindness well, and other things? I, I think I think people with impairments have to be the best advocates. And so they have to be well adjusted to their impairment, whatever that impairment is, and that, you know, the society sees those as positive people and capable people in society. Yeah, and you know, true, true. You know how, and this is Jane, you know how that happens is when we have access to things like, you know, buildings, um, we have, you know, equal access to, you know, transportation, being able to get in the community, not only working, but also living in the community and participating the more people get to know folks with disabilities, the more they do see us as we're just people. We're not just a disability. Yeah, because sometimes, I mean, I, like you said, there are barriers in life that that are unforeseen. And, and for a person that may be in a wheelchair, if you're going into a restaurant with four steps and there's no ramp, then you're going to be in a, in a bad predicament. Then you're going to be, quote unquote, handicapped because you're not able to, you know, access what you really want to access. So, that ADA has really helped, you know, create those, create to remove those barriers. So when you got the ramps, you're able to get in places and go out places because nobody wants to be, you know, held by the hand and walked around and <laughs> nobody, we, we're all capable and want to be living independent and self-sufficient lives. So, yeah. Raymond, Raymond it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that. When I, um, this is about uh, 22, 23 years ago when I first started serving on the Mayor's Advisory Council on Disability, one of our subcommittee work was to go out and look at different polling places for accessibility because there were some complaints that came in. So we created a checklist and we went out there and there were several polling places that weren't accessible to people with wheelchairs. Now at that time too, they weren't ex there wasn't a, an accessible way of voting for a person who's blind or visually impaired unless you had someone um, go in there with you and read it to you. But for the for the just getting um, into a polling site for people with wheelchairs, the stairs were an obstacle. I had, we went to one polling site when we uh, went out there and visited a site, and this is in Indianapolis. And they, they said, I said, you know, how does people, how somebody in a wheelchair get down here? I don't know if there's any other thing other than just these four stairs. And they said, oh, we just pick up the wheelchair, me and another guy, and we carry it down. So I think to myself, you know, it's not safe. You know, that was, but that was just, you know, 20 years ago. So there, ha there have been a number of changes that's taking place, and, and the ADA has helped to move those kinds of issues forward. But let me tell you, there are still, there are still stairs that people have to deal with and all kinds of barriers that people are, are trying to, to overcome. And that hasn't changed. Rural America, it's even, uh, they're farther back than those of us who live in the, the larger cities. So we have, we still got a lot of work to do. Yeah, we, we are, you know, blind, visually impaired right here. You know, we have our challenges with 
And more print is like kryptonite. So <laughs> let's print is uh, digital, you know, which is I'm yeah. glad everything is becoming digital now. But sometimes even when we're using our computers and there are hiccups that come up, you know, unfortunately, those barriers cause us a little bit of stress. And then cause we are all capable of, you know, doing our work and doing it efficiently. But, you know, when that jaw stops working or uh, something happens and we, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. predicament right there. But but uh, Don, let me ask you this, because. Um, You've been uh, dealing with a lot of this legislation. Were there any pushback, you know, regarding the ADA in the early days? Well, you know, one of the things that that is not the guidelines for accessibility uh, as far as physical uh, outlays are concerned are really in the Americans with Disability Access Guidelines, Mm -hmm. which is really not part of ADA. And so if people really want to know what the guidelines for, say, accessibility for all individuals with impairments, you really need to go to the ADA AG guidelines, which are very specific as to structural criteria. And James will remember this. And shortly, and I don't know when it was, but one of my responsibilities, I was asked to go to Chicago uh, in the 90s to learn about ADA AG guidelines as a a state employee. And my responsibility was to come back and train staff, VR staff, vocational rehabilitation services staff, so that we could access, access, could do an assessment of all of our local offices to see whether, in fact, they did or did not meet the ADA AG guidelines. And in some cases, even our voc rehab offices didn't meet the guidelines. So it becomes the landlord's responsibility and or the and the tenant, if you're renting it, to to make sure that you as a governmental entity do meet those guidelines. I do remember that, Don. Yeah, we, you know, we, I remember when we've been in, Don and I've been around quite a while here at Bosma, but we've been in two different, well, three different buildings now. And each time when we remodeled, we, we always made sure that we had a checklist and we went around and we have an accessibility committee here at Bosma so our accessibility committee, uh, you know, made sure that, that things were as accessible as, as we could make them at the time. And then, it, you know, how it is as you go along, you see, oh, there's even more things that we need to work on. And um, I'm not sure that all, you know, I'm guessing not many businesses really have a, an accessibility team that focused on, on those kinds of situations. I do have to say this, you know, as a part of the Marriage Advisory Council on Disability, too, is is I know this is part of the, uh, as a, a, a result of the Americans with Disability Act, but when they were designing our Indianapolis International Airport, they asked several of us from the Mayor's Advisory Council to come in and look at the facility before it was opened up, which is kind of a cool thing to go into a giant airport before it's even open with nobody right. in there. Yeah, I, <laughs> sometimes when I'm at a crowded airport, I think, oh, I wish I could do, you know, go through there without <laughs> a lot of people, but but yeah, we went through and we we looked at things. Uh, gosh, everything from 
heights of the sinks and uh, uh, just different texture changes and contrast for people who are visually impaired. It was, it's really, um, the ADA helps us to really consider those kinds of things when looking at uh, how we can create equal access. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. And touch about like reasonable accommodations because when I like going to college for myself, I had to have, you know, certain accommodations. So what are some reasonable accommodations that employers should be aware of or even people who are looking, you know, for accommodations? What are quote unquote reasonable accommodations? You want to take this, Don, or would you like for me to go ahead and start? Okay. Yeah, you know. Um, these are accommodations that someone would need to be able to to access or perform a job, and it's what they call reasonable accommodations because if it's, it would place too much hardship on the company, then you know we they those kinds of things have to be weighed. Um, but a reasonable accommodation is, I guess, if if there's an HR professional out there or a person who doesn't have a disability. I encourage you to think about this when you're going to hire someone with a disability, when you're considering that or you're interviewing them, is try not to think about this. A lot of times people will, employers will think, gosh, if I were blind, I don't know how I could do that job. Or if I was using a wheelchair, I don't know how I could do that job. Well, I would encourage those folks to not, don't, don't do that. Don't go there right away because chances are there's someone who's visually impaired or someone who's using a wheelchair has a number of different ways in which they have been able to, to accomplish a task. So, um, so for like somebody who's visually impaired, for us, we have screen reading programs or screen magnification programs that can help us to be able to access a computer or even smartphone technology. You know, the iPhones and the Androids, they both have built-in accessibility features that can allow someone to be able to, to navigate, um, do emails, all those kinds of things, walk to a job site, um, you know, find, find locations, uh, just, you know, a reasonable accommodation that, that can help someone to be able to perform a task at their workplace. And, Don, and I think, yeah. yeah, and I, and I would agree with you, but, but the, but the applicant really has to be well-versed on how they, will be able to do it. So when they're talking with a potential employer, you know, they need to be able to either demonstrate or really explain clearly how they can perform all the major responsibilities of the particular job that they're applying for. I think that's a great observation, Don, because honestly, I think there's a couple reasons that we have a 70% unemployment rate for people who are blind or visually impaired. I think one reason is, is, you know, employers really don't understand and have, uh, don't know, a lot of employers at least, don't really know all the abilities and capabilities of people who are blind or visually impaired. But the other piece of the, the unemployment puzzle here is a lot of times people who are blind or visually impaired aren't trained as highly as they could be to be successful in a job. So they really aren't able to sell themselves in an interview and tell an employer how they'd be able to do a, a certain part of a job um, just because they haven't had the training. Yeah. That's why they got to come to our Center for Visionary Solutions and they got to go over there <laughs> and they got to be trained by experts in rehabilitation. So I definitely believe it starts with that individual. And 
not having, you know, sometimes your family and friends could kind of hinder you or slow your progress down. Uh, so just really being able to advocate for yourself because I had to advocate for myself in college and uh, get the things I needed to do before I knew anything about, you know, ADA and other uh, blind organizations. So, uh, let me ask you this. How, do, how did you uh, benefit? Uh, do you feel the, that you benefited from the ADA and it helped you get to where you are today? Yeah, you know, just like you said, college was a huge piece of it for me. I was going to college in the 90s and, um, you know, they started really looking at more kinds of disability, you know, adaptive education services, disability related services to ensure that, that we did have, um, you know, access to, to materials. If they're writing something on the, on the chalkboard, give us, the, you know, have a way of giving us our notes ahead of time. Um, you know, just really those kinds of things that, that made it much easier for us to get through college. Now, I'm not going to say it was easy to get through college because it, it was, you know, challenging. You know, there had to be different accommodations and different kinds of things that I had to work with with my instructors on, um, you know, but it, we, we kind of worked together through it. And there wasn't a big pushback saying, well, you just can't do it because you're blind. It was more along the lines of, Okay, how can you know we help you to, to be able to accomplish a task, even though you know you can't see it the way the other students can? So we found different ways of doing things, and and I just know for me as a person who's um, you know been around for quite a while, is uh, as as the years go by, accessibility and people thinking about accessibility is is uh, it's in, improving so much. You know, even universal design, a lot of times people are like, oh, it costs so much to go in and retrofit a building that hasn't where, where the, the, you know, the people who the architects haven't already thought about accessibility. So it's much more, you know, cost prohibitive to go in and work on a building that's already been built. So if you think about those things ahead of, ahead of time, universal design and, and architecture and buildings, those kinds of things have really helped us to, to access our community. I'm glad you said that about the architecture and uh, building because right now we're trying to put those beacon positioning systems into newly constructed buildings. So that'll be some great legislation that'll open up opportunities. That way you could use your smartphone to travel and navigate through a, um, you know, a building like the city council building. That's something that would be great because you don't have to, you know, try to find someone to go down there with you and things of that nature. So, you know, those things right there, people want to just want to be independent at the end of the day. And that's all we're looking for. So, Don, let me ask you this before I get you guys well, out of here. Go ahead, let, Don. Let, let me make a comment. My, my experience in college was long before even uh, we talked about specialized services for students with disabilities. There were no offices of... Uh, services for disabilities on any of the college campuses. So I think most of the individuals who had disabilities prior to say the early 70s actually had to advocate more for themselves than than they do currently now. Yeah. And so you know this was even before computers you know, for example, when we would go to a class, 
we would have to be able to explain to a professor, you know, what are the options of how we can take an examination? You know, do you want to have a proctor read it to us and answer? Do you want us to bring a portable typewriter, carrying portable typewriters to the classroom to take a test? So from that standpoint, I think that we need to be able to indicate to individuals that you've got to be your own best advocate. But to do that, you got to you have to be really prepared to be able to present your case well. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. You definitely, you, 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 these generations paved the way for us, honestly. I couldn't imagine trying to carry a big portable typewriter that wasn't even electric, you know? No, it was not electric. Uh, yeah. Wow. Then you, then you, you know, you're visually impaired. So then how would you, how would you read what you type then if you, typing but you can't see it so how, how how does that work well you just had to be as careful as you could be wow. there was no way to correct it yeah wow yeah definitely i mean we came a long way came a long way and i think anyone who uh worked on this legislation to you know give us opportunities that we have today so doc could you give them um the website again for if they want to learn more about the ada um where do they go and learn more about the ADA? Well, you know, I think you can go online and, and, and read the various uh, sections of ADA. But if you want to talk about accessibility guidelines, you need to go to www.adaagguidelines.org. You know, thank you guys for giving us all that great information once again. And, you know, definitely... We're going to keep working to enhance the lives of people who are blind and visually impaired. And remember that the 31st anniversary of the ADA is on July 26th. So uh, definitely be looking out on our website, you know, for great content and checking us out about all the capabilities of people who are blind and visually impaired. So uh, once again, thank you guys and make sure you guys are subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google and SoundCloud. Follow us on all social media channels and visit us on the web at www.bosman.org and I'll talk to you guys next week.